He terrorized a Kansas community for decades. This isn't the first time the BTK Strangler has contacted the local media. A serial killer who called himself BTK for find, torture, kill. Because that's exactly what he did to his victims. His spree lasted from 1974 to 1991, during which time he claimed 10 lives, including two children. It would take another 14 years for him to be unmasked, but in 2005, people were shocked to learn the killer had been living among them the whole time. I had many, what I call them projects. They were different people in the town that I followed, watched. Then 59-year-old Dennis Rader, a local Boy Scout leader, churchgoer, Air Force veteran, husband and father, admitted to being BTK. He detailed his crimes in court, starting with his first victims, Joseph and Julie Otero. Greetings, folks. This is the Horror Helm. Welcome to the Horrorverse. In this episode, I am going to talk about Dennis Rader, also known as the BTK Killer, for buying, torture, and kill. Born in 1945 in Pittsburgh, Kansas, Dennis Rader went on to live a double life. Devoted family and company man by day, he also terrorized the Wichita, Kansas area with 10 murders and brazen correspondence with authorities between 1974 and 1991. Rader's alter ego resurfaced in 2004, but his penchant for leading clues led to his arrest and life imprisonment the following year. Rader was born on March 9, 1945 in Pittsburgh, Kansas, and grew up in Wichita. The oldest of four sons, he enjoyed his seemingly normal childhood, reportedly masking such disturbing behavior as hanging straight animals. Rader dropped out of college and joined the U.S. Air Force in the mid-1960s. After returning to Wichita, he married his wife Paula in 1971 and worked for an outdoor supply company for about a year. In 1974, he began a lengthy stint as an employee for ADT Security Services. While in his psychopathic aberrations, Radar seems to accept as true that society owes him a debt of gratefulness for not killing more recurrently than he did. Such a twisted perceptive almost defies conception. Serial homicide is neither a contemporary nor a distinctly North American occurrence, though in disparity, theorizing that placed the phenomenon of serial killing into a broader context that put up social, economic, and cultural factors have been relatively ignored. Multiple serial murders are rare events that have very profound societal impacts. If it was this particular offense that Rader revealed his hallmark modus operandi concerning his habit to strangle and asphyxiate his victims. Through these particular methods of killing, Rader was afterward labeled the BTK Strangler. The short form standing for bind, torture, and kill and the aspect of his complex, disorderly personality that was most apparent to correspondence in his extreme narcissism which his manifested in copious ways. For 27 years, Dennis Rader had brought chaos to Wichita, Kansas. After confessing to at least 10 murders from 1974 to 1991, and over a wide geographic area which gave Rader more time to commit these heinous acts, this lifestyle that Rader provided for himself was somehow corresponding with the lifestyle of his victims. Additionally, with the many jobs that Rader has held, predominantly as security service specialist, provided him with the instantaneous helpful advantage of having access to 
a substantially wider terrestrial space in which to stalk his victims. From this very first known offense, the multiple murder of the Otero family, it is the apparent that the use of a vehicle had instrumental and psychological importance for Raider. Furthermore, Raider also relished the time he spent with his victims before and after the act to remove himself as a suspect which plainly described his behavior afterwards. On January 15, 1974, Raider strangled to death four members of the Toro family in their Wichita home. Parents Joseph and Julie and two of their children, Josephine and Joseph Jr. Before leaving with a watch and his radio, strangulation and souvenir taking would become part of his modus operandi, a pattern of behavior. He also left semen at the scene and later said that he derived sexual pleasure from killing. The Otero's 15-year-old son, Charlie, came home later that day and discovered the bodies. Raiders struck again a few months later. On April 4, 1974, he waited in the apartment of a young woman named Catherine Bright before stabbing and strangling her when she returned home. Raider also twice shot her brother, though he survived and passed on. Kevin later described Raider as an average-sized guy, bushy mustache, psychotic eyes, according to a Time Magazine article. In October 1974, Raider placed a letter in a public library book in which he took responsibility for killing the Arteros. The letter ended up in the local newspaper, and the poorly written note gave authorities some idea of who they were dealing with. Raider wrote, It's hard to control myself. You probably called me psychotic with sexual perversions hanging up. He warned that he would strike again, noting, the code words for me were to bind them, torture them, kill them. The initials stuck and the murderer came to known as variations BTK killer moniker or simply BTK. The motive of any crime, especially for murder, describes the actions of offender. This is also deemed as a learned behavior. Although the motive for each serial killer is almost similar, there could be involvement over time as it continues to develop and the killer continues to adjust after each experience with the victims. At first, it was conceived that Dennis Rader did not have a family, and that all of his relationships were fabricated and not real. Nonetheless, the law enforcement this was the complete opposite Dennis Rader was married and had children and was seen as a nice gentleman who attended church. And yet, what made Rader less suspicious is that he, as a scout leader for the local Boy Scouts, given the impression that Rader could never be a killer. Granting that this is common for most criminals to revel and big-headedly share their crimes with family or friends, this is nothing common among serial killers as most tend to stay quiet. Nevertheless, Raider wanted his crimes to be known all over Kansas. Dennis Raider enjoyed taunting the police with letters describing his crimes and indicating where they could find his most recent victim's body. This provided the police some type of relief and it also provided a short analyzation of Raider subsequently labeling him someone very dangerous. Mass media consumed the content about Raider and the comprehend the type of communities that he would venture into and this addition provided tips on the public on how to stay safe and receive updates. The greatest achievement of all for most serial killers is to gain power over the local law enforcement and to hold cities in terror. Dennis Raider was able to do this just as the Zodiac Killer did. For Dennis, being the oldest of four brothers, grew up in the Wichita, Kansas area and later baptized, enjoyed the simple things of life. 
gardening, stamp collecting, and reading books about serial killers. Rader was also seen to be a bright man who's also quick-witted, organized, highly detail-oriented, and yet also egotistical and arrogant. Having served in the military in the 1960s, eventually Rader settled down and got married and had two children. But the picture-perfect fake-aid may have been the exact image he wanted to relay as he covered up some of the most gruesome murders in American history. Essentially, Dennis Rader may have been had violent sexual fantasies that may have involved bondage and killing innocent animals. Raiders sought out these fantasies to live them so self-rewards would be a gratification to his sickness, having the supremacy over powerless strangers, and that murdering is motivated by inner psychogenic dynamics. There is also one essential aspect with the dominant understandings of the serial killer that has become most prominent, namely the role of sexual fantasy. The amplification of intellectual thoughts is duly regarded as by the fixation of attached emotions and which derive from daydreams and sexual fantasies. To analyze the connection or disconnection between aspirant criminal behavior and the insentient guilt needs to be caught and punished. It is seen as complicated mechanism in which that matures the primitive instinct and impulse to stay alive, but expressed in conduct that has seen as heinous and inhuman. Research also shows human behavior can easily be influenced by other individuals in the social setting in which may ensue surrounding the affected being. Moreover, some social psychologists have to factor what leads individuals to behave in a given way in the presence of others and also look at the conditions of how behavior and actions connect. Social psychology is to do with the way these feelings, thoughts, beliefs, intentions, and goals are constructed and how such psychological factors in turn influence our interactions with others. However, when psychologists turn their attention to the principal antisocial criminal, generally the criminal is defiant in moral ethics and normal shyness and can be controlled from antisocial activities by outside pressure. It seems that it would be more accurate to say that criminals lack the emotional relations and have no consideration for other individuals and which makes the physical pleasures the center of his or her self-interest and then suffers from a devastating need for instantaneous attention or satisfaction with no regards to how it may affect the future. In analyzing criminals, we find that it is not so much the material gain as such they covet, but the feeling of happiness or relief from anxiety, which they can achieve only through material possessions or the thrill of criminal activity. The criminal's irresistible need for immediate pleasure is essentially a desire for a little happiness as relief from a state of permanent disappointment and unhappiness. The enjoyment of crime and even punishment in an escape from their understanding lives. While most of the time they feel fervently dead, they come alive in their criminal activities. Delinquents see this as a hope for a fantasy that may provide security and escape from an inadequate life. Attempted to cure a serial killer or someone who possesses the traits of a psychopath, Dennis Rader, for example, showed multiple traits of being a psychopath. From what has been learned that his Rader had a disregard for laws, the rights of others, the failure to feel regret or guiltiness, and he also had the habit to exhibit violent behavior. Psychopathy is personality disorder that is exhibited by people who enjoy a combination of charm, manipulation, intimidation, and sometimes violence to control others in order to satisfy their own selfish desires. 
Most psychopaths, such as Raider, disregarded the assistance from society and refused to be a part of social normality, which makes it more difficult for Raider to rehabilitate it or reform due to his antisocial personality disorder. Raider's next known crimes occurred in 1977. In March of that year, he tied up and strangled Shirley Vian after locking her children in the bathroom. In December, he strangled Nancy Fox in her home and then called the police to report the homicide. Shortly afterward, in January 1978, Raider sent a poem to a local newspaper about the Vian killing. Several weeks later, he sent a letter to a local television stating that he was responsible for killing the, the killing of Vian Fox and another unknown victim. He also alluded to several other notorious killers, including Ted Bundy and David Berkowitz, also known as the Son of Sam. Over the next several years, BTK dropped off the radar and the map as Ritter focused on work and family life. He had left ADT in the late 1980s and started working for the Wichita suburb of Park City as a compliance supervisor in 1991. In his new position, Raider was known for being a stickler for rules. He measured the height of people's lawns and chased stray animals while toting a tranquilizer gun. According to reports, Raider took pleasure in exerting his limited authority over his neighbors and other members of the community. He was also a Boy Scout troop leader and president of his church council. With many new stories marking the 30th anniversary of the terror murders, BTK was serviced in 2004. Raider sent local media outlets and authorities several letters filled with items related to his crimes, including pictures, a word puzzle, and an outline for the BTK story. He also left packages with clues, including a computer disk that ultimately led authorities to Raider's church. Investigators also noticed his Jeep on security tapes of some of the package drop-off areas and cemented their case by obtaining a DNA sample from Raider's daughter. Raider was arrested on February 25, 2005, and later charged with 10 counts of first-degree murder. His neighbors and fellow church members were stunned by the news. Unable to believe the man they knew was a serial killer that had haunted the area for so long. Dennis Raider pleaded guilty to all of the charges on June 27, 2005. As a part of his plea, he gave the horrifying details of his crimes to court. Many observers noted that he described the gruesome events without any sign of remorse or emotion. Because he committed his crimes before the state's 1994 reinstatement of the death penalty, Raider was sent to El Dorado Correctional Facility to serve his 10 life sentences. The following is a Dateline exclusive interview with Dennis Raider that aired October 25th, 2009. The rare glimpse inside the mind of a serial murderer, the PT BTK killer terrorized Wichita, Kansas for three decades. Now in a jailhouse interview, you'll hear directly from him how and why he committed these gruesome crimes. Here's Dateline NBC's Edie Magnus. BTK seemed uncatchable. Everyone wondered who he was, where he was, until just a few months ago when a most unlikely man who lived among them all along, Dennis Rader, was arrested. Yeah, I am BTK. And I'm the guy they're after, 100%. This interview, obtained by Dateline after it was done, was conducted by a Harvard-trained forensic psychologist, Robert Mendoza, 
who performs more than 100 evaluations for criminal and civil cases each year. He was hired by the defense team to assess Raider's sanity. I got this fantasy. I started working out this fantasy online. And once that, potential, that person becomes a fantasy, I can just loop, loop it over. I lay in bed at night thinking about this person, uh, the events, and how it's going to happen. And it becomes a real, almost like a picture show. You know, I wanted to go ahead and produce it and direct it and go through with it, no matter what the costs were the the consequences. Uh, it was going to happen one way or another. No one knows for sure why Raider had to kill to fulfill those fantasies. In this interview with the psychologist, Raider dismisses each victim as a project. He says he'd begin by stalking. Stalking stage is when you start learning more about your victims, potential victims. I uh, went to the library, I looked up their names, that address, cross-reference, and called them a couple of times, drove by there whenever I could. And each time he struck, Raider said he was armed with what he calls his hit kit. Oh, your hit kit contained what? Uh, plastic bags, rope, tape, uh, knife, gun. All those wouldn't be in the kit, they'd be where I could have them in the house and gather them up. Tools that would come to define the work of BTK. The victims were often discovered bound with tape or rope tied in unusual knots. In his jailhouse interview, Raider blamed his murder spree on that mysterious force he has always claimed was way beyond his control, Factor X. Something that's, I use it, uh, I actually think I'm maybe possessed with demons. Uh, I was dropped on my head when I was a kid. Uh, I've talked to some uh, theological Christian people, and some of those people are really strong. They actually think, well, the Bible says that, that there's demons and, uh, within you or know, come into you. Uh, that's the only thing I can figure out. I have, you know, uh, you know, something drove me to do this. You know, normal people just don't do this. You can't stop it. I can't stop it. It's just, it controls me. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's like it's in the driver's seat. Ten innocent people murdered to satisfy the twisted needs of one selfish man. The blind torture kill case is somewhat familiar in several facts. Murdering 10 innocent victims over 17 years with intervals that lasted almost unusually long. Not only have the physical characteristics of the crimes caught the attention of psychologists, but behavioral specialists also. Even though Raider preferred female victims, there was not an age specification or a physical appearance specification as well which showed signs of inadequacy. Chiefly it has to be examined closely, specifically in this case, whether these massacres to be comprehended as leisure activities or how this type of purpose simplified murder in the first place. In particular, murder cases were assessed regarding levels of control maintained by the murderer and also the balance, or the lack of balance of skill levels of challenge in relation to the apparent killing satisfaction in each case. To further explore and to delve deeper into this case, there is a broader concept to the murders that investigators still cannot get a grasp on. Was Dennis Ray killing to seek attention, or were these acts motivated by leisure? Despite what Raider's final comments were, psychologists believe that it was highly disbelieving and that he would have stopped his homicidal deeds out of just one more victim. Despite his cat and mouse games with the authorities, 
Raiden was able to keep the lid on his secret, murderous life. Reporting any attentive husband, he and his wife had a son in 1975 and a daughter in 1978. The next year, Raider graduated from Wichita State University with a degree in administrative justice. Still, he continued to taunt authorities and appeared to be poised to strike again. Certainly, this case has provided opportunities to be served as a secondary source to collect information about murder cases. Even though Dennis Raider has the delusion of society paying back his debt, Raider forgot that he had broken the law and now he has to pay his debts to society by serving 10 years for each victim. The BTK Strangler's case has become very instrumental and has provided many facets of psychosocial influences to help better assist law enforcement agencies and behavioral specialists. Nonetheless, the research study conducted served to highlight other areas dealing with homicides and occupational choices, namely those for serial murder. Raider's story inspired the Stephen King novella A Good Marriage, which was published as a part of the 2010 collection Full Dark, No Stars, and later became a feature film. In 2016, forensic psychology professor Catherine Ramsland published Confession of a Serial Killer, The Untold Story of Dennis Raider, the BTK Killer, which revealed that the notorious murderer had planned to claim an 11th victim before he was arrested. In October 2017, Netflix's crime drama Mindhunter was released to critical acclaim. One of the serial killer characters known as the ADT Man on the show is based on Raider. On the next episode of the Horrorverse, join me as I discuss yet one of the most extraordinary horror stories turned urban legends in American history, transformed a house into a landmark for the macabre, and provided the true story of the exorcist. This story begins in the late 1940s in suburban Washington, D.C. with a family named Hunkler. Their 13-year-old boy believed to be named Ronald, and later referred in the literature as Roland Doe which was among other names used. This was a despondent over the loss of his beloved Aunt Harriet, a spiritualist who taught him many things, including how to use a Ouija board. Until next time, my freaky friends, stay creepy.